Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. This is part six in our series, Public Land Hunting Mastery, a bonus episode I wasn't planning with my friend Manny again, and about specific tactics he learned from a monster public land buck that you really should listen to and consider. It jumps ahead a bit in curriculum to systems of great hunters, but it definitely fit in here very well, so I included it. As we start, I wanna challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you use that, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What did this huge public land buck teach Manny about access? What do Manny and I disagree about in regard to a particular gear item? What did this big mature buck teach him about his archery setup that you should also consider? And what are three components Manny thinks make a great deer hunter? And I have a few challenges at the end as always that I believe will truly take your hunting skills up several notches. So make sure to stay and listen for that. And now, let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. Okay, so we're back here with Manny, and we're going to run a little short episode, but there was so much to talk about and cover uh, looking at the systems of great deer hunters and what he has learned from this massive public land buck he chased for five years he called Frazier. And so we're going to get into some more details of that uh, in this episode. Manny, thanks for sticking around to talk about this. Um, If you didn't listen to the first two segments with Manny, uh, definitely go back and get caught up with those. But um, we're going to get into this Buck Frazier, which you wind up getting his deadhead after five seasons of chasing him. He's on your wall. And you can see this in our blog if you uh, read through that and look at all the pictures. What did this buck teach you at the end of the day about hunting and your approach to hunting? Well, uh, a lot. Um, I mean, he changed He changed everything about uh, my setup of the gear I use. I'm a minimalist by nature. Um, as far as what I take out in the woods, I call my brother Chuck Wagon. On the other hand, like he takes everything. Uh, but I like to be streamlined and only what I need, I take out. But uh, I think one of the things that I, one of the things that I don't think we touched on in the other uh, segments was not just to, I'll get into the gear in a quick second, but uh, access. Um, just because you find a deer in one location, Uh, And just because you can get some daylight photos of them in a specific location, it changes the game when you show up in that location. So how are you getting there? Access to me is everything. How does he get there? And how do I get there? And there's certain places that I know that if you teleported me in there or dropped me from a helicopter, I would have killed him. But getting to those spots, there was no proper access that I was willing to take. And I tried on, I tried with him a couple times and to no success to do the, the whole bump and dump type, bump him out of mm-hmm. his bed and have him come back and shoot him for Frazier. That, that did not work. Um, he had too many locations to go. And if you got too close to him, he was gone. Um, so access, I looked at everything like when we talked about in the previous segment of like where I located my mock scrape, I had every uh, that I wanted to hunt over 
in the fall. I had everything down to wind direction, what I think is going to happen, where I, where I know the does come through and funnel and um, where I expect him to be coming from. I mean, he can always throw you a curve, but um, how am I getting there? And it, it, all comes, it all comes down to that point. Can I get in there without disturbing the does off of the field? Can I get in there without disturbing him from wherever I th- think he might be coming from? And there's been multiple times, like there was, there's one location I'm thinking of in, in particular, and it was the location in the previous uh, segment where we talked about where my wife uh, said that I couldn't hunt because I had to watch the kids and he showed up that it was in that location. It was an easy access to get to that location through the field. You could park uh, and in probably a half a mile, you could walk the edges of the field. You could get to that location within from the edges of the field. It's probably another hundred yards uh, to that pinch point. And um, <laughs> I, it's easy access. The problem is if you're going to hunt it in the morning and you're going to get out there before daylight um, and you come through that field, I'm busting every deer out of those fields. Right. And those are the deers that I expect coming past me when I'm going in. So the only way for me to get there was to park all the way on the other side. And I told you there's multiple roads that cut through this property. There's a park all the way over on the other side. And I had to hoof it through multiple different marshes and navigate in the middle. Of, and I also don't use lights. I, I'm, I'm minimalist on sense and I don't use lights. Um, the only time I'm using a light is if I'm tracking a deer. Other than that, there's no light on me. And friends that come hunting with me hate that about me because I get really mad if you turn a light on. <laughs> I will tell you this, not to interrupt you, but real quick. Red light, deer cannot physically see it. But they can see the shadows. Mm, I'm not sure about that. They can't shadows, see red light, though. Sh- I, I, I will take a red light at certain times if it's really, really bad. But um, I can probably count two times I've ever used one. Um, go on. I just, but anyway, um, I had to come all the way through a, another route that I had to get soaking wet. I had to go through a bunch of really hard stuff. And that was also something that I would do in the early season, knowing that I'm going to have to hunt this spot. And the only way for me to get to this spot is through all of this stuff. And so in the middle of the summer, I would go out there and I would try and clear some type of path and traverse it through and try and get what's my access and get used to that access and clean it out enough, but not so much that other hunters are going to notice it and start using right. it as well. So, uh, access to, it was key for everything. I, there was one spot that Frazier would bed, uh, and I have photos of him, uh, going in and out of this location. And it is literally, probably 70 yards from one of the main parking lots. And it's probably 50 yards from the main road. In fact, he died on the other side of that road. <laughs> but he, he would bed in this location and you know he could hear everybody coming in and coming out. And there, right. he would bed right up against this really small pond. And there was reeds and really thick stuff. You could not get back there. There was, the hunters would cut trails and he would, he would be inevitably right there. And there was really no way to get in there to get him. 
Uh, and so you have to try and figure out if he was there, how can I hunt around this pond and hopefully he'll come around this side of the pond and not that side of the pond, or hopefully it'll be within daylight. And I tried to hunt that location a couple of times and you just couldn't do it in an effective manner. And there's certain mm-hmm. things you're, there's certain locations that yes, if you could teleport me there, I could probably kill this deer or kill different deer. But if I can't get there, and then the other thing I would hone in on it is, um, and that I do to this day is, and I learned with this deer, um, was there's a bordering state land I found right next to a bunch of fixed stuff. I found some, uh, and like in the early, so I, I, we preface that I'm an early season hunter and mm-hmm. I'm a late season hunter for the most part because I'm hunting one specific deer. So if you're hunting right. one specific deer and you're going off of Intel early season, uh, is where it's at, uh, on, in a lot of regard. Um, but I hone in on for early season and late season, it's always food. Uh, you hone in on that food and then I'll transition to honing in on my, uh, mock scrapes when the rut starts kicking off and things start getting active there. But there's one location that I have, um, a, I found multiple busted up, uh, antlers, nice antlers, underneath these crab apple trees and it was in not last year but the year before that i really honed in on this it was pretty close to where i found this shed and uh the only difference with that uh is sometimes you're gonna have apples and then some years you're just not and then it might be a couple years that that spot goes dead but you have to keep mm-hmm. at those locations uh and when they're hot they're hot um, but it's also how are you getting into there? How you access is everything. Um, I also learned to with Fraser specifically, uh, one of the things that he taught me is I always wanted the wind in my face when I, I was always raised to, tr- to play the wind, right. play the thermal, yep. ma- mainly it's play the common. wind. Pardon? I said, it's real common. That's, uh, yeah. the phrase he gets thrown around everywhere, right? Play the wind. Uh, and I'm still like, I think you can minimize your scent, uh, but I've never jumped on the bandwagon and I do all of that crazy stuff, but I've never jumped on the bandwagon that I can eliminate it. Uh, so I still play the thermal play the wind. Um, <clears throat> however, I play it a little bit differently. I noticed that throughout all the photos and like probably in 2017 in into 2018, every wind that was right for me, he wouldn't show up in the spots that I want him to be. Because it's good. It good for you. It was good for me. <laughs> wasn't good for him. Correct. So in 2018, yep. 2019, I started adjusting some of these spots mm. that he would feel like he had the wind, uh, but I would try and set it up to where the my wind just misses him, and he yep. feels like he's got he's doing that cross cut wind, and he feels like he's doing he's a a okay. And at those times, that's when I started when I started adjusting to that style of hunting that's when my encounters with him started happening more often yeah um because he would be in those locations he would feel comfortable not just all right i'm gonna go out there because the wind's gonna be in my face so <laughs> i'm gonna go out there it's gonna be great he's in the area it's gonna be awesome and then yeah he's and a that's a huge point i'll just pause you there for a second just to emphasize that because so we're, we're taught that so much right uh use the wind or play the wind or you know so we want it in our face and it's not about favoring us it is what will allow the deer especially if it's a mature buck that's over three four years old like they're pretty 
knowledgeable. They've lived through a lot, right? They've been shot at a lot. Yeah, um, there. They have to feel safe. When do they feel safe? When they can smell uh, where they're going most of the time, right? right. So it, you, you have to flip it from what's, what is good for me to what is good for them and how can I hunt, still hunt what's good for them and be undetected. Correct. That's huge. That's a huge point. Yeah. And then also, um, when like doe bedding area things, like when I first started off hunting him, I'd be like, all right, he's going to chase, he's going to come in here and he's going to scent check all these does. And so in the morning I'm going to, while all the does are in the field, I'm going to sneak into this uh, area and, uh, it worked once should have killed him. I don't know what deer angel got on his shoulder and made him go into the thicket and do a huge circle around me for no reason. But, uh, <clears throat> I would go into these doe bedding areas and then um, inevitably I'd see other deer, other bucks in there, but I'd inevitably not see him for, and I know he's in the area. Like I just had a photo of him in the middle of the night. Like I know he's here. Why, why am I just unlucky that he's not coming through here? And it's, he has his own path around those bedding areas. And depending on what way the wind's blowing, he's going to be over here. And now he's sent checking that doe area without running through it. And, and well, guess what? He's smelled me again. <laughs> He's not coming in. So I started playing certain things. And one of the times that it actually worked was there was a really thick um, doe bedding, uh, tall trees, but underlining brush, like really thick through there. And um, some high, high points, some low points with water. And all these high points have just beds everywhere. And not very far away is the ag field. And so I came in from the opposite direction and I had hunted this spot before and in the years previous, and I had a ton of photos of him chasing does through there, but I was never in the stand when he did it. So adjusting, uh, like if he's going to scent check this, I, and rather than just run through here, what if I go to the opposite side and I set up on the edge of it rather than the middle of it mm -hmm. and the and as he comes around it, uh, it was the thought process. And that's where I had an encounter. Now, he was actually following a doe at that point. There was a uh, – you couldn't see anything in there. Like, if you got high in a stand and I was in uh, – I, I hunt with a uh, – I never got into the tree saddle uh, as much. I mean, a lot of people do. Buddies of mine do. I just never got into it. Uh, so I use a mobile stand setup that I pack in and pack out in situations like that. And I remember going in setting it up and there was a trail that came kind of on an angle towards me. And then it just had a, this little thing that kind of opened up. Not much. There's still brush through it. If you're down in it, you're blocked by a bunch of stuff. But if I got just like 10 feet up, you had a few shooting lanes in this otherwise really thick location. Mm -hmm. And you can hear deer running all over the place during the rut. You can't see half of them. Well, in this one location, I decided rather than hunting where I would normally hunt in the middle of this doe bedding area, I would get to the edge. And if he's scent checking it, I might have an opportunity. And he ended up coming. A doe showed up about 60 yards from me. And thanks to Frazier, I had chose bow hunting to fine tune. Before Frazier, I loved hunting with a recurve. I still do. Um, but after Frazier is when I really started dialing, dialing in being an archer uh, and fine-tuning my archery setup, going through the multiple things of broadheads, light arrows, heavy arrows, uh, to the setups that I have now. <clears throat> so 60 yards was well within my wheelhouse. 
uh, at the time. It's not an ideal shot, but on somebody, something, a deer like him, if that was the shot I was going to have, I was going to be ready to take it. Yeah, and on options religiously uh, at a hundred yards and plus. So he, um, the doe steps out and then she comes right down the trail. She ends up going right by me. Um, Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DeerIQ.com and this is your high IQ moment. Have you ever gotten caught up competing for a spot or deer when hunting? I did recently and it's an easy trap to fall into on public or private but especially on public land. The scenario goes something like this. Several hunters find out about a good buck in an area and also know other hunters are hunting him. This competition drives hunters to take more chances, hunt in ways that maybe they shouldn't, and adds an incredible amount of pressure to an area effectively killing everyone's chances. So what should you do when someone else starts hunting your spot? It may be tough, but try to resist the urge to hunt more and find a different or better way to hunt the deer or maybe even hunt elsewhere altogether. Don't waste your time on a deer that's getting overpressured and probably turn nocturnal as a result. And for some public land tactics that actually work and help you beat the crowds, check out our free public land hunting guide with eight expert approaches to success. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, consider sharing it with a friend who may benefit and also commenting, liking, or reviewing depending on where you're listening or watching. This helps the podcast grow and it's greatly appreciated. Okay, and now back to the podcast. The doe steps out and then she comes right down the trail. She ends up going right by me. Um, Thermals were good. Everything was good to my knowledge. He stops right by a brush. I just need him to take a couple more steps. And if he keeps coming down the trail, I'm going to have a really easy shot. And he just stood there for what felt like forever. Um, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is going to be my shot. He's following the stove. He's with the stove. My setup finally works. I'm finally here. And for whatever reason, I do not know why that deer just standing there like 60 yards away. I just need him to clear this brush that's covering everything and he's just standing there for what feels like eternity and then he takes a right into the brush and i can see him just go through this really thick stuff for no reason go all the way circling around this location comes around to the other side picks up the dough and just runs off and starts running again and for i don't know what made him do that um yeah I, it's I'm almost <laughs> I'm I'm throwing milkweed and like uh, what's yeah. going on here, and nothing came up with an answer besides my dad was convinced there was deer angels. Sometimes it seems like that, and I've also noticed with uh, mature bucks again, like they sometimes they just feel uneasy stepping into any opening, right? I yeah. mean, they're just so uh, and I call tightly... it an opening, but it was just a, a, in a place where I could actually a shooting get lane, a spot right? For shooting, but it's yeah, not really it's open. like they can. It's like they can sense when they're just not quite secure enough or going to be slightly exposed and they'll just go out of the way to totally stay safe. And and that that's crazy. But, I mean, that's how they stay alive, right? Yeah. Um, he stayed alive so, that day. He would have died that day. Another encounter. So talk about uh, the system because it, or the bow, your how, how he has changed your approach to archery. Because this is something that as season goes by, people like – 
I fall into this sometimes and it's something you shouldn't do, but you, you stop practicing as much as season goes by because you're hunting and all this stuff. And, but you're right now, there's this big thing about your fast arrows versus heavier, slow arrows, you know, the mass versus velocity thing. And it's this whole argument out there, right? How did you settle on your current setup because of this buck? So going back to our very first segment, when I was talking about shooting his brother, um, I had a really light arrow at the time and I was shooting an expandable and I felt like I made the perfect shot, but you just hear this loud thwack and then like your entire arrow basically sticking out of the shoulder, which is nothing mm-hmm. that anybody wants to see. Yeah. I'm shooting 70 pounds. Like this is supposed to blow right through them. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure I killed that deer never showed up ever again. Uh, so I'm pretty sure he, I killed him. And then the person that came out was just training there. Oh, you hire a dog tracking dog. And he's like, this dog's mm-hmm. brand new. Great. Uh, so we never found the deer. Um, but from that encounter, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. Like I, I can never have this situation happen again. And right. I didn't feel like I was far forward. I felt like I hit exactly where I wanted to hit, but for some reason it hit bone. It didn't get the penetration I wanted it to. And so then I start diving into what's going to give me penetration. And this is when I'm still like hanging around at my perfect ideal range was 15, 20 yards, uh, 30 yards is kind of pushing it for me at that time. Uh, cause I was coming from a traditional archery background and not really honed in on the compound or anything. So from that I dove into and coming from the trad world, I dove into the really heavy arrows. Uh, I'm going to shoot this fence post at this deer. And when I hit it, it's going to blow right through the thing. I don't have to worry about bone. I don't have to worry about anything like this. Uh, 1000, I mean, this huge arrow is just going to blast through it. And it's all true. It's, you can look at the information and it's all great. The difference with Frazier, what made me adjust and find something that worked for me is I knew bow season was my best chance to kill this deer. I, for a couple of reasons, the woods would flood with a gun with gun hunters and i want to kill this deer before any gun hunter gets the opportunity to get lucky or good and shoot him that was one two um the only places that i consistently pattern them weren't during gun season because you not only have the rut going on but now you have every hunter that has a day off uh out in these woods and the pressure just mounts to epic proportions and it turns into good luck. Like you're not, so I knew bow season was where it was at. And then I knew my worst case scenario would be, I put in all this effort and he's 40 yards from me and I can't make that shot or I try and make that shot and I don't make a good one. And so then I started going, all right, if I shoot this really heavy arrow, I don't have to worry about bone and all of that's true. But how far am I effective with this? And what is my trajectory archery? to get to this point. Um, And so there has to be, depending on how you hunt, uh, there has to be a, uh, you have to find something that works for you in the situations in which you're hunting. And I wanted to be able to see him at 60 yards and shoot him and know that I could make the shot. So I ended up balancing. I I tried a bunch of uh, expandables just because of the consistent flight. I kind of want that accuracy, but then I just got away from them. I don't trust them. Uh, especially if you're going to make a long shot. So uh, if you're going to take a long shot at a buck like Frazier, um, 
if I'm off just a little bit, like I'm, I'm going to get my target, but maybe I nick a bone or maybe I hit something I don't want to hit. Maybe it's still a vital shot. If I would have had a fixed blade on there, he'd be dead, but I have the expandable that just nicks a limb or whatever else it's going to open. Everything goes, goes awry. So I've, mm-hmm. I don't, for, I think for me personally, in the way that I hunt, I've avoided the expandables and I've tested, I love getting into the gear stuff of testing different broadheads and what they do. Um, and I could rattle off a list of broadheads that I like. Um, in fact, I got my bow hanging over there and there's three fixed blades in it. And they're all different. Um, <laughs> but there are three standards that I go to for different testing stuff. Uh, but I ended up, my, my, my uh, setup right now, I shoot 70 pounds. Um, I think I have the, I still have the Matthews VXR 28 or whatever it is. I like the bow. I don't really see a reason to go buy one of the newer ones yet. Um, I'm really dialed in with that bow. I like it. It's very maneuverable uh, in the in the thick stuff. Uh, it's the first Matthews I've ever owned. I had a bunch of friends make fun of me for, for buying a Matthews, but I don't care. Whatever does the job. Uh, I'm not married to a brand. I'm married to what works for me. And then my arrow setup is right around just below the 500 grain mark. So it's not really light, but it's not really heavy either. Right, so yeah. it allows me that that pin gap that I'm looking for at these longer shots uh, and I'll practice to hundred, 120 yards all the time to make those 60 yard shots easy. And I won't take every 60 yard shot. It has to be a, a specific situation. Like I did shoot a buck um, at 60 yards. He's in the garage. Uh, it was in the middle of the rain. He was standing 60 yards in the middle of the field and he would, he was just standing still. And I knew that I can make this shot. And so it's, it's really cool when you're, when you shoot and you see the knock just rise way above the deer and then just float right down. Boom. He ran 40 yards and piled up. So those shots, uh, if you practice the way that you practice, it made those shots easy. But I, I started honing those long distance shots because I know with a buck like Frazier, uh, or the other bigger ones that I hunt, like you're not, you're only going to get one, two, maybe opportunities in a, couple years span because i hunted him for five years uh but i i really wanted to make sure it's one thing to find a deer and get photos of them then it's another thing to be able to see him on the hoof and then it's another thing you got to be able to kill the thing so what those are all three components that make a good deer hunter in my opinion and i did not want to skimp on the I didn't want to put all this effort and all this time, time away from family and everything else, and then not be able to seal the deal or see him at 60 yards or 50 yards and not be able to release an arrow or not yeah. be confident and be able to take that shot. So for, for me, that was the worst case scenario. So I practiced religiously and I would set up, I, everything that I set up, is, I set up for 20 yard shots. Most of my shots are within the 20, 30 yard range. Um, those are my ideal shots, but uh, I also adjusted from wanting those 20 to 30 yards I'm more comfortable with than the 10 to 15. And there's multiple different reasons for that one. Uh, I, I don't really like the deer that close to me. You can get away with less movement, all that kind of stuff, but, uh, I'm more comfortable in that 20, 30 range. And so all, everything, everything I set up is for that specific stuff. Um, I changed from, for hunting Frazier, he adjusted to hunting pressure. So I adjusted from going out to set up these ladder and sticks in the early season uh, in June and July and 
setting up a ladder and sticks and putting your name on it and all that kind of stuff to investing in a mobile setup that I can move with him. And that mobile setup has taken on multiple different forms throughout the years. Currently, I told you I'm a little bit of a minimalist. So the stand that I prefer uh, is the Lone Wolf 0.5. It works well for me. There's a bunch of different stands, very comparable. I like how light it is. Uh, and I like the minimalistic size. And I'm not a very big guy. So uh, that tiny stand works well for me. It, it checks all the boxes for me. Um, but being able to move, uh, being able to set up to whatever the wind is doing that day. Like if you go out in early season and you set up these traditional stands that are much easier to sit in, uh, you have it much nicer because you're not packing anything out. You're not pack, uh, you're not putting up any kind of sticks and stand and taking them down and packing them back out. You're just going to a stand, climbing up the stand and sitting and hunting. But the difference is you can't play the wind or the thermals as much as you can when you're packing it in and out. Um, but there's a give and a take to a lot of that stuff, but yeah. fine tuning the gear to be able to get on these deer, uh, and then be able to seal the deal is something I spent and continue to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. That's a, there's some really good stuff in there. And I hope the people out there are taking notes, which you can do with our free journal that you can download. Um, I'll probably mention that at the beginning of all these podcasts, but yeah, these last, uh, segments with you there's a lot of notes to take and i i'll just emphasize the the idea that even just with the arrows thing in particular right it, it don't follow fads folks do uh, use the stuff try the stuff out what is going to work for you in your situation you know if you only get 20 yard shots and that you want the extra mass of that arrow arrow that makes sense but if you think like in this situation you're gonna have 50 60 yard shots that the buck taking one step from when you ranged him to if he takes one step further and you don't realize that you're probably going to miss that deer or wound it or versus wound if you got a little lighter, faster arrow, you still are within your, you know, comfortable, uh, kill shot. So you have to think through your situations, not follow fads. What's going to work for you to get the job done? Because at the end of the day, he said it perfectly like you don't want a picture of this deer you want the actual deer right and uh you can't take shortcuts on any of these little systems that's why it's so important that you focus on these systems where they might be yours was data collection yours was some of this gear systems this big buck taught you all these things but really focusing in getting those meticulously working for you so you can count on them and they start working for you and that's when your success really starts going up and you can hunt a buck for five years not just hear about it or don't even know it exists and then get on his son which is a whole another story that you uh found another huge buck in this same area with these same tactics that you know you you started chasing after him so systems are super important guys and Manny, anything else to add here? I know I've taken a lot of your time, uh, but we've gotten a lot from you. Um, anything else you want to add to any of that here as we wrap I, up? I think I would say, like, if you're talking about, like, my gear or anything else, like, I can tell you what I use, but, like, I think I alluded to and you alluded to, you have to find out what works for you. What are you trying to accomplish? And then find that. Uh, but when you really break it down, I think a lot of people overcomplicate finding these deer. Um, and it can be challenging, uh, but it's also the fun part about the hunt to me. 
but it, it finding them, locating them, then pattern them and getting them to a spot where you might be able to kill it or, or might be able to see a daylight photo or be there in daylight with that deer mm-hmm. and then be able to execute. And uh, sometimes we can get so caught up on finding it and locating it and the early season stuff that we fail to actually fine tune our archery setup, especially if it's archery or if it's gun. I, I, I think I started when I first started shooting long distance with my bow, cause again, I'm from the trad world. So you're 15, 20 yard at the most uh, with a recurve that I was comfortable at taking an ethical shot. Uh, so when you start shooting these long distance things, I, I, I have a target out there like this. And if, if I hit that at 60 yards, I'm like, that's, that's, that's about the size of a kill zone. Pie place, and then yeah. you, but then you have to go, no, that's not a kill shot. Like a kill shot is hitting and being very meticulous about your group and your grouping at that 60, 80, even, even farther. And then being extremely meticulous at 20 and 30 yards. I have a couple stories of different deer. In fact, the deer right there, um, one of my best shots I ever took on a deer was that deer. And he was severely quartering away. He was actually facing away from me at about, uh, 30 yards. And he had took one kind of thing here. So I could see part of his shoulder and all of his rear end and just one rib. And at 30 yards, I took that shot and I hit right there. And it went from all the way back here, all the way through him up into here. And it's a very tiny window of being able to hit that spot. And uh, if you get really meticulous about things like that, it's not just, all right, I don't need to be that good because I don't need to shoot that long distance that he was talking about. What about taking those shots at those close distances where you only have this big of a hole to shoot through? Yeah, small room for error. So fine tune it. Make sure that when you do all this work, you put in all this work, however you find these deer, however you pattern them, whatever tactics that you use, make sure that you can seal the deal. Um, And that's a couple spots. I I mean, if I could go back on my history with Frazier in the last, in the five years I was able to hunt him, with the hunter that I am now that he turned me into, I would have killed that deer. But it was all of those things of learning that are priceless. Like I can take those things on and those things that he forced me to be a better deer hunter. Uh, He forced me to take more pride in the craft of going after something that was that elusive, that intelligent. And that's where all the fun of it is, is uh, the pursuit uh, at the end of the day. And um, it just becomes part of who you are. But be meticulous about some of that stuff. Yeah, really great stuff here. You know, you're a passionate hunter. Um, and, you know, anybody listening to this, I, I encourage you to listen to these several times for just all the nuggets that were in here. But you learn so much through it. It's, it's, it's this process, right? And it is my sincere hope, Manny, that next season or two you get on – a huge buck like him and then I can see you get him and you can come back on here and tell us all about it. Uh, because yeah, I, I can tell how much you've learned and it's just fun to hear about it. And so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this with everybody and, uh, hopefully some other time you can come on again, but thank you again. We'll have more stories this year. I'm sure. So as we wrap up, here are some key high IQ takeaways and challenges. Journal about how you are doing in the three areas Manny mentioned that define a great hunter. Find a good buck, see him on the hoof, and seal the deal by killing him. 
What can you do to improve your setup and approach to do all three of these things more consistently? Okay, and next week we will wrap up the Public Land series with a handful of expert guests and their number one tips for public land hunting. It's a great way to wrap up this series. You definitely won't want to miss it. And I'll see you then.